Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. I loved this episode and you are going to as well, man. Um, Tim Calise. Tim's got a, a lot of variety in his past as far as his professional career and, and path. Um, he's had several different chapters as he describes them, but man, he drops so much wisdom. He's an investor and primarily a, a business consultant and business coach. I can see now why Alex Hormozzi called him to uh, bring bring Tim on board to be a part of Alex's executive team with Gym Launch. Um, if you don't know who Alex and Layla Hormozzi are, you need to, to Google them real quickly, but they are on um, uh, uh, an incredible trajectory themselves. Tim, our guest today, was a huge factor in Alex's success and Layla's success with uh, Gym Launch, which has been, was phenomenal. He is a wealth of knowledge, high energy. This episode's all about relationships. I think that's the primary through line here. And the fact that um, there are more more ways to do get to success than just one. I think uh, Tim talks about how he grew up in a sort of a traditional finance world mindset, um, go to school, be the smartest and you know, get a get a job with a big finance company and work that for the rest of your life and, and be happy. And that just wasn't a fit for him. And um, so he's made some big decisions along the way to pivot and try new things. One of the stories he talks about is how for four years, they raised about $350 million uh, to create a hedge fund. And then they ended up giving that money all back before the 2008 crash. So essentially, quote unquote, wasted four years of his life. Um, but in hindsight, he certainly did not. There were a ton of lessons learned that you're going to hear today. He drops a lot of wisdom toward the end of the show, for sure. So you're going to want to stick around. Buckle up. Welcome to the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. Are you an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur? Then this show is for you. Each week, we bring you impactful stories of real people who have overcome painful human adversity to create a life of abundance. A life of abundance. You are not alone in your struggle. Join us and you will experience the power of true stories and gain practical knowledge from founders who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. This podcast will encourage you through your health, relationship, and financial challenges so you can become the hero in your quest for freedom. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live. Turn your adversity into abundance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I am your host, Jamie Bateman, and I'm thrilled today to have with us Tim Calise. Tim is an investor, consultant, uh, business genius, and uh, among many other things, a father, etc. And we're going to get into a lot of the, the relationship type stuff. But Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jamie. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm uh, really looking forward to it. Absolutely. I, I know um, I'm really excited to... I, uh, you, you were flexible enough to reschedule and I appreciate that. So, um, so who are you? We, we touched on it briefly, but what are you up to today? Professionally? What are you, uh, what's your focus today? Yeah, professionally, I am an investor and consultant for service-based businesses. Uh, my belief is that, uh, business is built on relationships. And so I work primarily in, uh, service businesses that have or want to have 
a recurring revenue component. So membership, mm -hmm. subscriptions, things like that. And it could be traditional service or things like technology, say, uh, software, SaaS, those types of things. But you know, I just fundamentally believe that creating a, uh, a relationship with, with a customer or a client uh, solving problems for them today and into the future is is really where I have found my expertise. Yeah, well, I will say it didn't take me very long to find out that you run in some uh, some well respected circles in the business world, and you've dealt with some some uh, definitely uh, I'll say famous entrepreneurs. Uh, so, can you mind naming uh, one or two before we jump into your backstory? Sure, probably the the most well known one right now, and I take a lot of pride in uh, have have been, been on the executive team at Jim Launch alongside Alex and Lila Hermosi. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, I have a, a phenomenal mentor uh, and a gentleman named Sharon Shrivatsa, who I believe we both uh, we both know, uh, who's both in real estate as well as banking, investing, et cetera. Uh, and just kind of both being a, a phenomenal guy, but also kind of a sage in, in the advice that he's uh, been able to give me and see around some of those corners that uh, that, yeah. I, that I'm not seeing. Uh, and then I started my career uh, in the financial services business, working on a team with uh, a little over $2 billion under management. And so I've been fortunate enough to find my way into some some great rooms and and stand shoulder to shoulder with some great people. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, the, the Hormoses are obviously a, on a... On a uh significant rise right now for sure and yeah. and, uh, and i've really gotten into alex's podcast in particular he offers so much and then sharon is sharon is the man he's uh such a such an awesome guy and i've gotten to know him a little bit over the last couple of years it's been fantastic he just continues to give and and that's yeah. just just awesome and he's he's super smart but but this episode is not about either of those two. Uh, this episode is about you, Tim, and, and your story, but but really also about the listener and what we can learn from your story and what we can, uh, you know, gather as far as lessons learned from the your journey and some of the adversity that you've been through. Um, just to quickly set the backdrop, you know, from adversity to abundance, uh, we don't pretend that someone went through adversity and then and then overnight they reached abundance and they have no no more challenge and everything's you know fantastic but the fact is i know we're going to get into some mindset stuff um the fact is we do have a lot of influence over how our lives go and how we how our perception or perspective um you know is and and, and how things end up for us so um that the 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 goal of the show is to inspire as well as provide tactical tactical insight into you know how you've been able to grow and get to where you are tim and so that we can take that and and better ourselves as listeners and as entrepreneurs so um enough of me rambling let's jump back what's uh where do we want to start tim and your backstory yeah, I think when, when I when I heard adversity to abundance, for me it was I, I was very fortunate. I was raised in a, a phenomenal family. I had my mother and father were both home. I had two great sisters, the whole nine yards. So you know, I don't I don't have the kind of traditional you know uh, the, the the deck was stacked against me the, that type of thing. But yeah. in reflection, I think the thing that my adversity was very much between my ears. It was mm. the adversity of relationship. For me, like who I was, my identity, uh, how, how I could kind of uh, navigate the context of, of of my life through these different chapters, uh, and so you know, kind of starting from today, I I've chosen to build a life of intention around being a, a father who's you know home with my, I have three kids, all kind of ten to fourteen, um, and and helping attract people who who want to have this idea of not just working more to get more. Uh, but realizing, you know, kind of how we can build and reverse engineer a life where we get a lot out of uh, every hour that we spend and, and we get optionality into to, to be able to do the things that we want to do. So I would sure. kind of start now and almost work backwards and just yeah, well, and just to say, you know, I think that the adversity, again, was just kind of the, the coming of age story of, of giving up the the what I should be doing versus mm. what I feel is my zone of genius and what I, what I choose to pursue. And I think a lot well, of people can resonate with that. Yeah, absolutely. No, hundred percent. And, uh, let, let's drill down as far as in, in your, in your, in your past, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, and, and I'll throw out the caveat here that it's very easy for, for us to look back and, and, you know, judge you or your family or any of you, you know, your teachers, I, I'm making this up, but you know, as far as, 
we have the the gift of hindsight at this point, right? And so we're the, yeah. the goal is not to put anyone down or anything like that. But what would you say were some of the influences that maybe kind of created some adversity in a sense for you and your your mindset and your relationship with yourself, as you mentioned? Yeah. So I think from from a very early age, and again, all of the things you just said are I 100% agree with. I am not mm-hmm. speaking down to anyone. I, I've yeah. been so fortunate to be to be surrounded by positive influences. But I think for me, it was always this uh, disconnection between what I saw going on around me. I grew up on the North Shore of Long Island. Uh, I was surrounded by a lot of you know professional folks. My dad was the you know put on the suit and tie, take the train to work, you know those types of things. Uh, yeah. And and being surrounded by folks that were in kind of traditional commerce, you know, banking, lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I think at least my interpretation of that was here are these these very well-respected, quote-unquote, successful, financial and otherwise, you know, folks around me, and they all have this kind of common pattern. So therefore, I should probably want to be, you know, seeking the the banking job where I will be there for 40 years and ascend through the ranks. I should want to go to law school, business school, et cetera. And I've just, quite frankly, I was always kind of more emotional one. And I, mm. yeah, I just, it just never fit. It felt like clothes that, you know, just weren't my size. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think I was I followed that up until kind of the, my college and, and beginning of my my professional career, when I was able to really kind of take stock and say, you know, the proverbial fork in the road, do I want to, you know, uh, die living the life that I, you know, or, or potentially fail living the life that I want, or potentially succeed living the life that somebody else wants for me. Uh, and I think the next kind of 15 or 20 years was the pursuit of kind of working through that in many, many ways. And now being a husband and father, uh, I think it just gives you those additional opportunities of reflection. Absolutely. So so as you got out of college, it sounds like you, and I think a lot of us can relate, you just do what you think you're supposed to do, right? Right. And follow the example you've seen before, you know, that apparently has worked for others. And so there's kind of, you know, one track or traditional model. Um, So... Walk us through those 15 years. I know that's, you know, we can't pack 15 years into 15 minutes, but how was that, you know, what were some of the high points and low points of that that kind of 15-year period where you were sort of figuring it out on a professional level? Yeah, the summary I would give is uh, there are some distinct chapters kind of through that 15 years and each one marked by, you know, the, the saying, you know, giving up the good for the great or the potential of the great. So I graduated from college, economics, finance, things like that, uh, degrees. And I went to work for a division of Citigroup. Uh, so I was in the kind of traditional brokerage world. And I was so fortunate to have a, uh, a boss and a mentor who said, you know, you're, you don't want to be here. I don't think this is the right place for you. And he made a connection, uh, a very, very hard kind of like, you are no longer going to work here at the end of this year. And you're going to go and talk to this person, you know, and hopefully you guys can figure something out. And what that looked like was, from the outside, a very risky decision, which was leaving a, a, an opportunity at a big bank of consistency and the known quantity and all of mm-hmm. those types of things. As a kid from New York who moved to D.C. Yeah. for school, then mm-hmm. ended up in Birmingham, Alabama, of all places, mm-hmm. to build a hedge fund. Now, on paper, that seems like the most ludicrous idea. And if you were <laughs> a betting man, you'd probably say, this seems like it's got a low probability of success. Sure. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It allowed me the space to pursue something that probably at the time I was just too naive to to know any different. Like I just went and did it because mm-hmm. why not? I had no reason to to doubt myself. And it was the coming of age for me of like I put my you know stake in the ground mm-hmm. and I succeeded on the merits of I'm going to go raise money. I'm going to go create something with a partner of size and 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 value for others. And over four years, I was able to raise almost $350 million from various investors wow. in my early to mid-20s, which is, when wow. when I say it today, seems, again, possibility versus probability. It was possible, <laughs> but not probable. Sure. But I think that was the greatest part of the whole thing. It mm. was this idea of the adversity of making a hard decision, seeing it through, betting on yourself, uh, and then kind of walking through that process. And and that ended, the end of that story was we voluntarily gave all that money back before the 2008 market crisis. So again, adversity wow. being, I spent four years of blood, sweat, and tears and risk and all of these things in my early to mid-20s only to effectively undo it all. 
in a matter back, of an instant. Get back to the start again, basically. And we're right mm-hmm. back to the start again. So, so these kind of, <laughs> wow. this theme of hard lines in these chapters was literally, I have shed that skin. It's, it's not like I carried that forward. It was, I left the hedge fund business and went into technology and fitness because it was something I just felt passionate about at the time. And mm-hmm. that led me in a 10-year period, led me to uh, being introduced to Alex and Layla over at Gym Launch, stopped being a business owner, a gym owner, and became uh, a part of the leadership team at, at Gym Launch. And again, new chapter started, which was yeah. an ascent in a in an eight-figure business. So you yeah. know, I, I think the, the adversity is just kind of these chapters and making, making hardline decisions sure. uh, for hopefully pursuing something better. Yeah, absolutely. And I also one one thing I like to would like to highlight is that it sounds like you didn't go from, you know, W2 for 15 years, and then business owner for 15 years, life can have seasons and chapters, as you said, right. And so we've had other guests on the show who've been very successful and, you know, started businesses. And then I, I won't even say I don't mean to say gone back, but just gone to a different chapter where they, they take a W2 again, you know, but but in a, it's it's a you know fantastic path for that season of their life. Um, you know, just looking back before we move move on from that, um, at those I guess decision points. You know, let's let's take the first one as far as uh, no longer working at the division of Citigroup. I mean, what's going through your mind at that point, and how did you? I know you had the influence of your mentor, and you had the influence of the, the person he introduced you to. But really, what went into that decision-making process? I asked myself the question, and I think this is important for anyone to do, which is like when you're facing a decision, you play it all the way out to its natural conclusion. Mm. And I said, okay, months yeah. path. Let's say it goes perfectly to plan. Right, right. I'm now a stockbroker in a job that I don't want to have in a business that I don't feel passionate about and probably doing things that I would regret the the me of today making mm-hmm. that choice. Mm-hmm. That's and great. I think yeah. in many cases, we, you know, some of this is, is related to, you know, you, you have to kind of have another paradigm, another vision or have somebody else, you know, look to somebody else's example just to know what's available to you. And, you know, I think at that time, I was looking at the the gentleman who who treated me very, very well, and we're still friends today. And he was kind of the relationship guy. Mm. He worked a couple of hours, but he had all the connections, he had all the network and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Uh, And I was like, how do I do something? And again, as I mentioned before, I was much more kind of the emotional, I tied Mm -hmm. more into that piece of me than the gladiator piece of me. And I'm like, I actually really like the relationship-based stuff. Like, I mm, like being yeah. a broker, yes, is is relational, but it's much more, I'll call it like, uh, tactical. You know, yeah, it's stock trades and it, stuff like that. I, it's I just more tra- it it's more transactional, transactional, right? exactly, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And so I, I, I think I was pursuing this idea of how can I build relationships where I've got a, well, I've got a bigger lever, if you will. Sure. Okay. And, and that yeah. is a common thread that goes all the way through. And and I think I was also. You know, looking within myself, saying how do how do I match my personality to what I think you know is uh, is what's needed, and that's more of a blue ocean, red ocean, in my opinion. I went sure. somewhere where I felt like I could be more competitive and not just you know go head to head against everyone else doing the same thing. Yeah, no, I mean, just a couple of things I want to highlight for the for the listeners again. If you make a decision, it doesn't a career decision. It seems monumental at the time, and and you know it, it was a very important decision that you made, right? But but you've had chapters, you've had seasons. It doesn't mean you stayed in that you know in that particular position for the rest of your life, um, you know. And just secondly, what you just said about highlighting, kind of taking the long term view, or almost stepping outside yourself and look and fast pressing fast forward and say. Am I going to be happy with how this plays out if I if I stay where I am? That's a that's a really key key point there. Um, so okay, T- tell me real quickly about th- handing back the three hundred fifty million. I mean, what what went into that decision? I know that's that could not have been fun. I mean, I I raised capital. I've never raised that much money. That's that's a that's a lot of money. Um, what went into the de- decision making process before two thousand eight? Yeah. So. Uh... All of the great moments of 
pride that I have through my personal and professional career have been times where my kind of moral and belief systems were both tested and I'd like to say adhered to. What I mean mm-hmm. by that in this case, it was what got us from zero to 350 million. There came a time where that was not going to carry us forward. And we mm-hmm. had a very distinct conversation, which was uh, the market climate, just for anyone who kind of wasn't in that in the, in the equity markets mm-hmm. in the US at that time was, you know, this is when uh, mortgage defaults were starting to pick up, like the big short, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's kind of, kind of all around this time, right? Where uh, things were dislocated. There were weird, funky things happening in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we saw the early parts of that. Mm-hmm. And so we said, we either change our stripes to, to kind of mold into what works today mm-hmm. because we weren't in a normal market climate or we stick to our knitting and say, you know what, we're going to take our ball and go sit on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. And that is the conversation I had with our investors. It was October of 2007. I still mm-hmm. have the deck. And I said, mm-hmm. here's everything we're seeing. Here's graphs, the whole nine yards. Here's how we've gotten to where we are today. Here's why you trust us. Here's why the reason that our strategy is not working today. And here are the decisions that we have to make. And I will leave it to you. If you Mm. trust us to navigate this, we'll give that a shot and try to articulate that. If you feel like you want your money back, you're welcome to take it. Mm. And overwhelmingly, people voted with their their feet and they said, we'll Mm. take our money and go elsewhere. Um, And I don't fault them because... There was a lot of uncertainty uh, and saying, you know, we're going to go to cash when you're in the business of investing other people's money is not Mm -hmm. a popular opinion. No, right. But again, it was one of those, like, I cared about the relationships that I had with these folks. Yeah. And I had a moral and a fiduciary obligation. And it sounds very, uh, in hindsight, like, oh, you know, you're clairvoyant and did all the right. Like, that's (laughs) not the, we just gave up an eight figure revenue business effectively on the, on the, the nightmare that could have been, which is if this all comes crashing down, I don't want it on my head that we lost $300 million worth of capital because we levered and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think I could sleep at night. I just knew that I could sleep at night knowing I took all the learnings and moved forward. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I love, I, I love uh, Jeff Bezos has this concept of, you know, one way versus two way doors. Okay. You know, one way doors, you can never go back through two way doors. Yeah, you yeah. can go both ways, right? Sure. I could always live another life having given up the money. That's, if we that's, had gone forward and gone off yeah. the cliff at 110 miles an hour, yeah. in my opinion, probably more psychologically than anything, that mm. was a one-way door I could never go back through. Mm. Man, that's uh, it's just I think that would that's so much harder than than we're giving it credit for right now. I mean that that must have been really challenging just to just to present that slide deck. I mean, just to even bring up the conversation. So kudos to you for having that, you know, transparency. Um, th- that's not an easy conversation to have. So, it, but yeah, I mean, that's, it does seem like, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. You, when having options is better than having no options. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, okay. So, so walk us through, I mean, how do you not look back th- at that four year period though, and say, that was a complete waste of four years. And I mean, how do you move forward from, from there? So one of the, I mean, we've talked about kind of relationships. One of the things that I have quite frankly, because I, I'll put it this way. I have chosen to do things in my, the last 10 to 15 years of my life that I truly, you know, it's like you take a job that you would do for free kind of thing um, because you're so passionate about it. That's actually what I care about. I care about the work. In that experience, it was one of the first times I had a partnership. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I took from that, I didn't make a lot of money in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things. Now, kind of looking back on it, I probably should have advocated for myself more so, mm-hmm. but I was mm-hmm. young and in my young 20s. Sure. You know, and, and you know, seeing a six-figure check was like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. <laughs> I'll take anything I yeah. can get. Um, sure. Threats are actually or my my reflection on that time was actually less mm-hmm. about that one decision and more about I squandered the opportunity. I didn't kind of strike while the iron was hot. Mm, I see. And I think that's actually where my head goes more than anything because I'm kind of at peace with the decision, but I would mm-hmm. have wished it wasn't to answer your question, four years of waste. It certainly wasn't. Um, but I think I probably in hindsight could have made it allow me to do different things uh, thereafter financially and and otherwise. 
the biggest mm-hmm. asset I walked away from was not only experience, but the Rolodex of people. And and mm. I was talking to some some high school kids this morning, and I used the phrase Rolodex, and they looked at me like <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying. So, um, right. but I but I left with a a fairly yeah, a uh, strong network in, of in, investors, intact and... network, exactly, yes, right. exactly. Right. So so <laughs> it was definitely not a it was not a a zero um, above and beyond the the experience. No, but I think it you know with the it, correct me if I'm wrong in in your case, I mean, but for me. I think, you know, given the given time, it's easier to see that, that it wasn't at all, all, all a wash, right? And so it's it's hard to see those inherent benefits uh, right at the time. So, you know, that's, uh, I think in hindsight, yeah, you can see, okay, this wasn't all terrible. This wasn't actually four years of wasted time. Okay, so, you, so did you then leverage that network or uh, what happened in your career after that? Yeah, I, I, so I was in Birmingham, Alabama. Didn't know anyone yeah. really. Uh, my wife and I were basically we just got married. We were going to start a family, uh, and we're both from the Northeast. So we took the opportunity uh, to relocate uh, back to my wife is from Massachusetts, which is where we are now. Uh, and so mm-hmm. not, and I knew I didn't really want to be in the hedge fund business. I mm-hmm. I had a short stint uh, at a fund in in Boston, but we weren't we didn't live in the city, and logistically wasn't what we wanted to do. Um, and we met as division one rowers in, in mm. college. And so we were always kind of, I liked athletics. I was always you know, kind yeah. of help and working out and things like that. And when we relocated, my wife Googled, you know, personal training in the town that we were living in. And mm. there was a banner ad at the top that said some version of, you know, automated personal training 24 okay. seven. I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm an entrepreneurial guy. I like fitness. This sounds halfway decent. Like I'm going to go check this out. Mm-hmm. And I went and uh, and did a sample day uh, or a session at one of these brick and mortar locations, and I thought it was really interesting, really novel. And so I called the called the CEO and said, "Are you taking investors?" And he said, "Thanks, but no thanks. We're fully funded, but we're starting a franchise. Do you have any interest in kind of being one of an early franchisees? And we're going to figure this out as, as we go." And so we took the opportunity to, and so I got into the fitness technology, you know, brick and mortar business. Uh, shortly after relocating, and we grew that from zero to uh, we had eight locations at one point, multi seven figures, uh, and so it was my first foray into building a service based, uh, you know, brick and mortar business, hmm. a full operation, hiring, training, marketing, and it was a it was trial by fire. Uh, and at the time, you know, whether it be the best use of my kind of, I ended up being part of it for almost ten years. Um, but it was it taught me a lot of lessons about how to actually build a business well, how to you know put my ego aside. I was still very much trying to like be the alpha male and didn't mm-hmm. work out all that well. Uh, so learned a lot of lessons through the actual kind of application of the principles. And yeah. you know, the end of the story is is of course uh, I was introduced to uh, uh, to Alex and Layla, which uh, became a very transformative part of my life. Sure, and then there's definitely still the relationship piece. I mean through that whole, the, the relationship thread through all of that. Um, but, you know, drill down on a couple of the lessons that you did learn during those 10 years. I mean, look, I building a business is not easy. Uh, becoming an entrepreneur, it's a, it's a sexy term these days. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to be an entrepreneur and, you know, it, it, and I love it. I mean, I think entrepreneurship is fantastic. There should be, you know, more entrepreneurs out there. Yeah. I don't know that it's for everyone though. And, yeah. um, you know, it's not, uh, it's, you, you, it takes a special someone, I guess, to truly uh, have a startup and, and make it successful or, or, or not successful. But talk to us about some of what you did learn as far as just building a business. What were some of the lessons that you took away? Yeah, one of the most important ones, I'll kind of highlight two. Uh, the first is, especially in the fitness industry, depending on what you read, there's somewhere between 50 and 70,000 gyms in the United States. Talk about a red ocean of competition. It's like, sure. how the heck do you differentiate <laughs> yourself in such a crowded marketplace? Yeah. And we were able to do it through product. Okay. And it is something I carry today. I actually have a program called Product to Profit. And the idea being using product to create your category of one. How do you both separate yourself and create uh, a more dynamic acquisition and retention system using the product that is already inside of your business. Because I think with a few degrees of tweaking, and what that meant in our gym was, yeah. we thought we were in the gym business. We mm-hmm. weren't in the gym business. We were in the transformation business. Mm. 
And what that looks like is we used to say things like, let me tell you about the classes we have. Let me tell you about the equipment that we have. Mm -hmm. The the harsh reality that I wouldn't have known unless I put my own money in the marketing is -hmm. when you hear crickets, (laughs) clearly it's not working, right? (laughs) So the second we change it went, oh my God, of course, it's so obvious. We're not, nobody cares about the equipment. They care about the outcome. This is the old features versus benefits conversation. The second it was, we're a transformation studio. It means the, it's not just equipment, it's accountability coaching, it's nutrition guidance, it's you know all these other things. We went from charging $69 a month and having a hard time doing it to charging on average about excuse me, $275 a month uh, and converting twice as many prospects into clients and holding those clients twice as long as we otherwise would because we had options. Wow. So one decision, we didn't change the footprint, we didn't change the, the, the model, other than we basically said, we need to build the full bridge instead of this kind of half-built feature bridge. We need a full mm-hmm. picture of, of benefits. That was the first. Mm-hmm. That was more of a product conversation. The second was just me as a person. And it was, I had a really hard time. And, and I think this is entrepreneurs, we have mm-hmm. this double-edged sword, which is how do you both innovate and execute in a way that you can build a team around you. And I think, you know, the it's fact tough. that you're, you're just finally, like, everybody's been here, right? Yeah. I had a team. Build, building that, the airplane that, on the way up, right? <laughs> well, 100%. And, and if you're, if you, you can ask the people on your team, it's like the age old, like, I'm going to a conference. Your team hates when you come back from a conference because it's some version <laughs> of, I've got 20 pages of notes and now we're doing this and that. Yes. All these ideas. That, what I came to realize is I was unaware the impact that my, I'm going to call it schizophrenic approach Mm. to building the business had on the team until one of my leads came to me and effectively fired me. She's like, why am I here? And I said, oh, it's because, you know, you're doing a great job. You're running this location, whatever. Mm -hmm. And she goes, then you need to leave me alone. If you trust me enough to run this thing, you need to leave me Like, let me just do what I do best. Mm. Just stop changing things, and it was probably got to be. She must have been sweating when she delivered the message. Sure, yeah, absolutely. it was the right message at the right time, and it wow. hit me to the core. And really, because two or three years prior, one of the worst moments of my professional career was I was nominated and won a like thirty under thirty award in my market, mm. and I came to find out that one of my GMs nominated me and supported me to win the award and i didn't even thank her and i didn't invite her to the event i was waiting for the the worst part of it gotcha we're talking 15 years later almost is when you found out or no i feel like like as i sit today this was almost 15 years ago understood i still look back on it as like what type of person were you mm. at that time to be that tone deaf in a right. business. And if I hadn't done it, and if I hadn't like literally had the scars, I don't think I ever would have come to those conclusions. And mm-hmm. I and I really mean that like putting your own money into something and mm-hmm. building a team and getting learning those lessons. I could have never designed that as a course, but it was like sure. that experience gave me the lessons. And you're gonna get the lesson until you learn it. And this is one of those times where like it just it chokes me up even today because like yeah, it just like as a person it just wasn't who i was and it took right. over part of my psychology and and mm. it was the right reset at the right time which allowed me to then be successful thereafter well now our our listeners can learn from that and and i know that you i'm sure that affects how you do your coaching consulting these 100%. days as well um but the, the i think you know not to beat a dead horse but the with those two lessons that you just listed there you just identified and and, and walked through with us walked us through the um you know, it's still relationships. So you, you said you called it a product lesson, but I mean, I shouldn't say but. And <laughs> I would say it's it, it's even really it's a people thing. So I, I get your point, but it you know it, it really instead of focusing on the gyms and what you offer, you're you're, you're really more f- switching your focus to the client, right? And what yeah. how yeah. they're going to be transformed, as you said, a transformation. Um, 
it's all about transformation. But again, that's relationship. That's people focus, right? It's not the equipment. It's not, you know, what you, whatever your pricing is or whatever else. It's it's the the people that you're serving. And then secondly, again, people that you're serving, your team. I mean, thankfully, you had a good enough relationship with your your manager, general manager, to, yeah. that she felt comfortable doing that. Yeah. Um, clearly, you built that that trust level for her to be able to do that. But uh, so I think those are still, they're, they're key lessons both being human and, and relationship based. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, so, and then from there, I know we're, we're starting to run out of time and I do have some, some questions are going to fire off, but um, drill down a little more on the, the Hormozy kind of relationship and how that, you know, what, what, what did that time period look like for you? Yeah. So it, it began with uh, a call to him uh, as I was part of this kind of fitness franchise uh, I ended up buying the franchise uh, in mm. 2018. Uh, I bought out the prior owners uh, and I effectively said, we need a better business model. And Jim Launch had kind of just started to take traction, started to get some traction at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody else in our system had implemented some of the Jim Launch kind of uh, principles. Mm. And so I said, okay, we need a better business model. It's working over here. <laughs> do I want? Do I feel good about taking those principles and telling everybody else what to do? as if I came up with it myself. Mm. And I sent a blind email to Alex and I said, hey, you don't know me. I own this fitness business. Somebody else has followed your guidance and has done decently well with it. Mm-hmm. I now basically own this franchise, this license, and I'm going to tell everybody what to do and I'm going to basically rip you off. So instead of doing that, can we do a JV? That was the holy mail. So you, you blackmailed way. Alex Hormozy. Basically, you blackmailed him. I, 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 I kindly said, can you help me do the I'm right kidding. thing here? No, and, uh, and, and we jumped on the phone and, and we, we built a, we built a awesome. model, the gym launch model for, uh, for, our, for our gyms. And then so we got to know each other. And then uh, six months later, uh, gym launch launched its own supplement brand called Prestige Labs. And they had like a little sales competition at the launch. And the top 10 people got a trip to meet uh, down to Austin to meet Alex and Layla. And we were in the top 10. So I blew down. And imagine, if you will, a dining table literally in their living room. 10 gym owners, including myself, and Alex and Layla doing like a ad hoc strategy session. So, you know, mm-hmm. do you need help with marketing? Do you need help with product? Like, what's going on? Like, let's help so solve cool. your biggest problem. And I was one of the last people to go. And after about five minutes, it got down to like, you don't really need to be a gym. Like you shouldn't be a gym owner. And he used the phrase, you're in the wrong opportunity vehicle. He goes, you should sell wow. your gyms. I'm like, okay, you're probably right. Cause like I, I was just, I'm exhausted. I just, it just wasn't. And I was running the franchise uh, yeah. license. And he was like, you're just too, you're don't take this wrong way. He's like, you're just too smart for doing what you're doing. Like mm. you belong to not be working at the gym. So I basically peeled off our gyms. And a couple of months later, he called me on a whim asking for advice on something. I gave him some advice, not knowing whether it was good or bad or indifferent. And then he called back and said, Hey, you know, we were looking to hire somebody in our executive team. I love the love kind of the conversations we've had. Um, would you be interested in coming on board? And hmm. so I joined like two months later and the literal and proverbial hit the ground running because uh, Jim Launch at that point was uh, on its rocket ship trajectory from zero to over 30 million a year in revenue. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I highly recommend the listener go if you if you don't know who Alex Hermosi is or have not heard him tell his story, it's yeah. it's amazing. Um yeah. you know, both from the, the gym launch part of it as well as acquisition.com, which I know is more their focus nowadays. Um, yeah. but that's that's yeah, I mean it's so hard. Like it sounds like you were running around, running ragged, you know, running the gyms and um it's so hard to see it, you know, from the outside. And then you have somebody who's kind of it's so important to get that that perspective whether they're like in a a mentor position or not um it it, that can be so so valuable um to have that relationship but um and then so what uh, what was the not 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 the end of gym launch but how did the the kind of gym launch go into acquisition.com what did that look like from your perspective yeah, so I was there through kind of the towards the, towards the end of of gym launch, uh, mm. and as for anyone who's not familiar, uh, acquisition.com is effectively a portfolio of companies mm-hmm. that Alex mm-hmm. and Layla uh, acquire and consult for and help grow. Their sweet spot is ten million dollar companies plus or minus ten million plus to get to hundred million, two hundred and fifty million, and and the main levers they use are Layla's a 
an operator unlike any other one that I've met. So mm. call it people systems. She is phenomenal. She's probably the best mm. in, in the industry at it. Alex is just a brain, a, a just yeah. an unbelievable market, sales, product, positioning, things like that. So the right opportunity vehicle is the larger stuff. As I've mm -hmm. said a couple of times, I have a sweet, a, a soft spot probably for the kind of closely held, smaller, you know, entrepreneur who's trying to kind of get on a solid footing, um, the 500,000 to 2 million a year in revenue kind of service mm -hmm. business is where my sweet spot is. So mm -hmm. the, the kind of split was, uh, I was a father of three. I wanted to get mm -hmm. some, some balance back is what it allowed me to do, uh, and yeah. get back to kind of helping my ideal would be to help a 500,000 or a million dollar revenue business get to mm -hmm. 10. And then I already know where to send them. Like that would be the ideal case sure. for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and 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 that's and that's kind of we got it. That, that's how the hand in glove would, would yeah. effectively happen. Yeah. Well, and everybody's priorities are different, and you know everyone's yeah. circumstances. I don't think they have kids, and I don't. I don't hear do Alex. Yeah. I don't hear him talk much about work life balance. Um, nope. <laughs> no. So yeah, nope. um, but it's it's yeah, amazing. We're both, we're both indiv individually. He he has his point of view. On you know he works all the time, which I yeah. fully appreciate and, and witness. Um, yeah. I think I'm in my now early forties, uh, with yeah. three kids. I I've just always believed as I kind of getting back to my earlier stories, like, yeah. I just want to be present. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's afforded me kind of the last 18 months or so since, uh, since, yeah, uh, awesome. Jim Launch was sold to be able to, to kind of be, be the person sure. I want to be in, uh, in, in relationship to my family. So you've touched on it already, but what is your talk a little more tactically as far as what you offer? currently for you know who's your ideal client you already mentioned it somewhat but um and what services do you provide yeah so i i am a true kind of consultant uh i i do coaching as well a lot of people use mm -hmm. those interchangeably yeah, but what's what's uh, the difference actually let's let's drill down on that what is yeah. the difference yeah so co coaching is kind of defined as you know helping you with belief systems and things like that kind of like asking you the questions so you can come to the answers on your on your own Mm -hmm. uh, consulting, in my opinion, is more of an uh, execution implementation role. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I can both come up with the idea and the plan and help you execute it. Mm -hmm. I am a an action taker, so call mm -hmm. it a high level, uh, you know, executor. Um, yeah. And the reason why I do both, but primarily anchor and consulting, is because mm -hmm. of my model is I work one on one. I have a, a one on one program. I have a group program. The mm -hmm. one on one program is all performance driven. So going forward, it's basically, if I deliver value for the company, mm -hmm. I will get paid out of increased revenue mm -hmm. and increased yeah. enterprise value. Traditional consultants are pay me X dollars. And the issue that I have with that is it's not tied to outcome. Mm -hmm. I see. So yeah. I'm, I'm basically aligning myself with ownership and saying, if my presence helps build the business bigger, then mm -hmm. great. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. And I don't get paid for my time. Um, sure. I also have a group program, which is, uh, uh, I call it the co-creator community. And it is based on my belief that entrepreneurism, uh, entrepreneurs in general can be mm -hmm. really isolated characters. You know, oh, we're yeah, in our own lane. Sure. We're kind of in our own heads a lot of times. Uh, and so I have a group coaching program around the idea of kind of co-creation, co-collaboration, yeah. uh, gets the best out of most, both, most of us. So it's support and ideation all at the same time. I think that, I mean, the, the need for community is only going to continue to grow and it's just it is it can be you know it's not a it's not a sob story for you or me or any other entrepreneur but it's you know it, it can be very lonely <laughs> even yeah. if you're busy right even if you're yeah. constantly running around it's it's uh you know it is it, it is pretty isolating can be so that's that's awesome that community element that you that you offer um so do you so you said service-based business like what's what's like paint the picture of your ideal client uh in more detail yeah, so service-based meaning I, I don't really get involved with like manufacturing or things like that. Um, anything that is kind of true service, uh, B2B or B2C uh, mm -hmm. is is my core. Uh, 500K to about two to three million uh, in mm -hmm. revenue. Uh, mm -hmm. So kind of, and the reason why that's relevant is because I like to work with people who've had a couple of iterations of the business, like finding product mm -hmm. market fit is kind of already in progress, not just yeah. here's a piece of paper, we hope we here's have an, an audience and it, and, and it works. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I think I can be more impactful once we have some data to go off of. Um, mm -hmm. But what I have found, and I think it's remarkable to see, you know, there's that 
uh, you know, in our in our shared uh, contact of, of Sharon, he says, mm-hmm. you know, transformations don't happen in isolation. That's right. That's and right. And is, is a famous quote of his. And like, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. Yeah. And so it is simply the idea of there are so many businesses. I'm a big car guy. I'm a huge Formula One fan. To mm-hmm. use a, a car racing analogy, it's like everybody's focused on, you know, how many cylinders we're firing on and how big the engine is. Mm-hmm. The reality, the only thing that matters is how much power goes to the wheels. Mm. So I act like a better transmission. Mm. You keep doing what you're doing. It's not doing more. It's actually doing less. We mm. just translate that through kind of tweaking things, moving things a couple of degrees mm-hmm. so that we make more progress per unit of measure, you know, energy mm-hmm. that goes in. And mm-hmm. that is how I personally believe is the right way to build a business like that. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Really good. Awesome. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions, Tim? Absolutely. Shoot. All right. Tim Calise, what is one thing that people misunderstand about you? Uh, Most people see me as like a diehard capitalist, meaning like I only care about money. uh, (laughs) And I actually believe that money is the byproduct of being really valuable in a very specific way to as you know, to a a specific audience. Mm, It's really good. I'll just leave that there. Um, what's one of your biggest failures or regrets? Something that we haven't talked about that you'd love to have a do-over with? I wish in my early 20s, I had hired a therapist. Mm. Okay. And I mean that because the idea of, I think I grew up and I still, you know, it's very much in the paradigm of like, you have to be the smartest person and the smartest person who can withstand the most torture wins. Mm. And I am now of the belief that if I had a better handle on my thought process and my, you know, my thinking, emotional intelligence, all of those things from an earlier age, I think I probably would have made certain choices in different ways or at least treated different situations uh, in a way that probably would have been, been more optimal. Got it. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, whom would you you choose? That's a great question. Hmm. Uh, They could still be alive today. No, I'm a historical figure. um, That's a really good question. I'm trying to think. uh, We can revisit. (laughs) Yeah, no, I my my first inclination goes to like a business, you know, titan of some kind. Um, But I have to say, like I, I. I feel like now information is so readily available, it's probably lesser. Uh, so mm. it'd probably be, you know, a thought leader of some kind, probably a mm. philosopher or something along, along those yeah, that's lines. that's good. Yeah. yeah. If you were given $10 million tomorrow, Tim, what would you do with it? Not for a business. I mean, you could use it for your business if you wanted, but no strings attached. I would take it and hire mentors that are a couple of steps ahead of me and then build a content team to help me build the most amazing, differentiated, authentically built brand in the market. Mm, love that. Um, what is one challenge that, that maybe really, you may have just answered it, but what is one challenge that you're facing in your, in your business right now? I've always struggled with controlling my impulse to kind of try new things. I'm actually right now like trying to really be diligent about my thought process and mm-hmm. what I want to do and how I want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I know uh, Sharon constantly talks about we must do fewer things. Um, that is you know, that for, is my challenge right now is to to whittle down and find the Pareto's law version of where I am right now. Yes. What's the 80%? That's uh, the 20% delivering the 80%. I can totally relate to that. Way too many yeah. things that I've created <laughs> that, that take my attention. Um, yeah. In your opinion, what's one of the most important personality traits that someone in entrepreneurship needs? Growth mindset and grit. If I can ask, if if I can use two, those are two. It would be it's a great combo. Yeah, believing the future is better than the present, and making sure that you've got the personality type to see it through. That's great. What is a book or two that you could recommend, Tim? Oh, uh, right now my favorite book is "Buy Back Your Time" by Dan Martell. Mm. Uh, It's a must read. Uh, and then another one that has been hugely influential for me is uh, Ready, Fire, Aim. Mm. 
uh, by Masterson, mm-hmm. uh, especially for entrepreneurs. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it is a great book to like how to think about building a business and this idea of it's not just bigger team, more, more, more. It's actually mm-hmm. about efficiency and and how you can win in certain certain arenas. Mm, love it. I just bought a book called Indistractable. I want to can't wait to dive into it. It, it. it is in the same vein as being well. He actually pushes it back against the term focus, but um, eliminating distractions and and uh, gaining traction that way. So I'm excited to read that one. Um, what's one question that I have not asked that you wish I had? Oh, good question. Men- mentorship is super important. Uh, and it's yeah. just the one thing that I think regardless of like, as I think about any adversity that I've had, one of the values that I hold either with clients or even with mentors of my own is I think the a lot of people misunderstand what the value is of having a mm-hmm. mentor. And I, I think a lot of it's focused on knowledge and tactics and insights mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the thing that I would, that I highlight most is a great mentor can lend their confidence in you when your confidence is low. That's really good. I love that. And I yeah. think that is underappreciated because it's actually not about whether you're right or wrong. You need to change things. Like sometimes it's just your tank of like confidence mm-hmm. can run low. And like I, on more than one occasion, it's like, you just have to keep going. I actually believe you're on the right track. And sometimes that, yeah, figurative certainty yeah. is actually what manifests the real success. That's really good. I actually just hired a business coach myself a couple months ago, and he call, he refers to himself as the chief energy officer. He he's got a lot of energy, and he's but I can relate to what you're saying because um, you know some of the business struggles inherently lead to you know I don't know if it's a lack of it's just lack of confidence I guess or whether or not this thing's going to work out and just having that support system there has been fantastic for me um so couldn't agree more tim where can our listeners find you online yeah website's timcalise.com t i m c a l i s e.com uh, and then on instagram uh, linkedin and facebook uh, i'm on all three uh, and i've got a great vip community it's free um, with nuggets that I drop, you know, a couple times a week, uh, based on, uh, real life examples that I'm working with clients on. Fantastic. Well, Tim, I think, uh, this has been, it's been fantastic. I mean, we, we've, uh, covered a lot. You, I appreciate you walking yeah. us through some of your backstory. And, you know, I know for me, I pulled out a, a whole lot about relationships and the importance of, rela- importance of relationships and, um, there were several other important threads and, but, uh, I, I do appreciate you spending your time with us. So thanks a lot, Tim. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And to the listener, thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us. And that is your time. Um, if you would please like su- subscribe, share the show and, uh, check us out on adversity That's the number two adversity Thanks everyone. Take care. Thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us, your time. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and fellow podcast listeners. One entrepreneur at a time, we can change the world. See you next time. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, Inspiring Stories of Mental, Physical, and Financial Transformation, available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, these stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, This book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.